Oh, improve it, fam. Today, you are in for a treat. I cannot even tell you how excited I am to have these two women on the show. I'm so excited. I I literally have been thinking about this interview for the past couple weeks, knowing they were coming on the show, and just feel so lucky that we get to chat and that you, my Improve It family, get to hear this amazing conversation. So first and foremost, uh, if you have little ones running around, give them some earmuffs or pop in your earbuds because there's a little adult language, but let me tell you, it is worth it. Oh my God, is it worth it? So let's start by introducing Kim. Kim was on the show, episode 80 of this podcast, and she is the author of Just Work, How to Root Out Bias, Prejudice, and Bullying to Build a Kick-Ass Culture of Inclusivity, as well as Radical Candor. Be a kick-ass boss without losing your humanity. Now, she co-founded two companies that help organizations put the ideas in her books into practice. Kim was a CEO coach at Dropbox, Qualtrics, Twitter, and other tech companies, and previously had leadership roles at Apple and Google. Just small companies, right? Now, Trier Bryant. Oh, we get introduced to Trier today. Lucky us. Trier is co-founder and CEO of Just Work. She's previously held leadership roles at Astra, Twitter, Goldman Sachs, and proudly served as a combat veteran in the Air Force as a captain leading engineering teams while spearheading diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. She's been featured as an influential DEI practitioner by several publications and outlets from USA Today to CNN. Trier's an Air Force Academy graduate and enjoys spending time with her family who live by the motto, good enough is that. We're going to talk about that in the show. This show is packed. So first and foremost, if you haven't gotten the book, Just Work, get it now. We're linking to that in the show notes. It is every leader needs to read this book. It is so good. We're going to talk about the book and get into it in today's show. There is so much going on from purple flags, which you'll see in here. We talk about so many different ways that we just work is so important post Radical Candor, the book that we had Kim on the show for before. You're going to hear about the definitions, these very simple definitions of bias, prejudice, and bullying. We're going to tell you some ways and that people remain silent and why they remain silent. And then we're also going to give you several suggestions on how to interrupt bias on your team. The show is so good. So, so good. So stay tuned. Now, if you haven't yet gotten your hybrid hype handout, it is a free downloadable PDF that we give to you to help you hybrid hype your team, help you through this time that we're working remotely, mostly. Get that. It's in the show notes. Just a quick reminder for you. I'm going to stop talking. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. Let's get to this amazing conversation with Kim Scott and Trier Bryant. Here we go. Are you a leader or change maker inside of your business, organization, or corporation? Are you looking for new, innovative ways to drive morale through the roof? 
Are you looking for fun and exciting icebreakers, team building exercises, and activities that will foster team growth, friendships, loyalty, and completely transform your organization from the inside out? Have you been searching for a fun and unique way to create change instead of the same old dry, boring leadership books and icebreakers that aren't actually working? Hi, I'm Erin Deal, business improv edutainer, fail fluencer, and professional Zoombie who is ready to help you improve it. My mission in life is to help you develop teams and leaders through play, improv, and experiential learning. In this podcast, we will deep dive into professional development, team building, effective communication, networking, presentation skills, leadership training, how to think more quickly on your feet, and everything in between. We have helped everyone from Fortune 500 companies to small mom and pop shops transform their business, their leadership, and their people through play. So grab your chicken hat. We are about to have some fun. Welcome to Improve It, the podcast. Kim Trier, welcome to the Improve It podcast. <laughs> Welcome, Kim. <laughs> Welcome, Trier. This is my, fr- I'm going to be honest with you both. This is my first double interview of life, of, of this podcast. So I'm excited because I'm going to have to go, hi, Kim. Hi, Trier. So hi, Kim. Hi, how are you? It's great <laughs> to be back. And welcome back. I know we're so thrilled to have you. And Trier, welcome. Thanks, Aaron. We're excited to be here. I am honestly so pumped for today's show. I know the Improve It audience is going to take so much value from this conversation. We've met Kim before. Trier, we need to get to know you. We're going to do a fun little thing that we do in all of our improv workshops called Five Facts. Okay, so it has a little it has a little pregame cheer to it that goes like this. Five facts, five facts, five facts, five facts, five facts. And then I'm going to start, I'll start with you, Kim, because I feel like this might be like a, re- a repeat of some of the facts we already know, but maybe give us something new. I'm going to give you some new facts. Yeah. Give us five facts about yourself that we couldn't find anywhere in your books, bio, LinkedIn profile, anywhere, and I'll count them off for you. So let's go one. One fact is that my first real job was hiring a bunch of Russian diamond cutters in a field <laughs> outside of Moscow over a bottle of vodka. <laughs> There you go. Second fact, my salary for the $6 a month. It was awesome. My third, actually, I'm, can I tell the truth? I just conflated. My first job was not actually hiring the diamond cutters. My first job was research for which I was paid $6 a month. I'm easily confused. Third fact, I'm easily confused. <laughs> okay, fourth fact, fourth fact, I once on a business trip, threw up on my dinner plate. True fact. (laughs) Okay. It was awesome. And it was preceded by this, you know, the telltale tugging under your chin. And I I kept thinking, I am not the kind of person who throws up at the dinner table and then boom. (laughs) Anytime you think those words, I am not the kind of person who you're about to be that person. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Okay, yes. wait, that was four. I need a five. Okay, I don't the know if fifth, you can top it. The fifth fact. 
I was voted by my teachers to be the ideal St. Mary's girl at my school. There you go. Okay. I've, I need like a three-hour podcast episode <laughs> for unpacking all of these facts. But I'm going to say this, that when you said the throw up, I automatically like my... my you got it. You felt I it. I got you it. <laughs> I was like, Sorry. it's there. That was empathy right there. I felt it. Okay. Trier, I am, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. First fact. First fact, I was born in Trier, Germany, which is where my name comes from. Second fact, English is my third language. First was German. Second was Flemish that uh, they speak in the southern part of Belgium. Um, uh, third fact is it takes two things to get into any of the service academies. It basically takes an appointment, which is the Air Force Academy saying, you got in, we want you. And then you need a nomination, which could either come from the president, vice president, or a congressional representative that says you're going to represent the nation, the state, or your district at the Air Force Academy. I got the appointment because they were like, yes, you can come, you got in, but I did not get a nomination. And so we had to go and chase and find someone to give me a nomination. Otherwise, I wasn't going to go. A lot of people actually don't know that. Uh, was that three? That's three, but I'm loving okay, it. Yeah, again, four, this is why we need three hours. Okay, keep going. Four. When I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, um, I actually got to go on an incentive ride in an F-15. Uh, so the pilot was in the front. I sat in the second seater behind them where the navigator typically sits. And they do this to like get cadets to like want to be pilots. But I believe that planes are for vacations, not for work. <laughs> um, and so I had no desire to be a pilot. But I'm getting in the cockpit and the pilot goes, Cadet Bryant, you better not throw up in my plane. In my jet. And I was like, all right, sir, whatever. And so I didn't throw up, but I did pee on myself. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm so loving how real, real we are on this show. So far. yeah, good, good, good. All right. Number five. And then I would just say number five. I don't know how to cook and I have no desire to. And I spend more money on Uber Eats than my, than I'd like to. And my accountant makes fun of me. Okay, <laughs> let's all be best friends because I peed myself last week. I almost threw up in my mouth and I hate cooking. So this I hate is... Cooking. I burn water. God, let's call I this burn... bodily fluids. <laughs> <laughs> bodily fluids podcast. But it, you know what? These are facts that I'm now glad that I know. So I'm glad I asked. And I feel like, you know what? There's there's common threads here. There's common threads. And I also hate, um, I hate cooking so much that when I was looking for, a, we moved recently, I had, I asked the realtor, I was like, is there Grubhub here? Like, do, how, what is the Grubhub reach? Aaron, so, that is a very good question. Because oh. like, does Uber work and does Uber Eats or some food delivery? Because I've actually stayed in places where it didn't. Thank you. So it's a fair question. And there I'm not, I'm not happy about it when that happens. Okay. I'm with you so much fear. This is, this is already going great. So I am, <laughs> this is, this is it. This is the show. No, we have so much good stuff to talk about. And I'm just thrilled. We've had Kim on the show, episode 80 of the Improve It podcast. We were talking about radical candor and feedback and Trier. We are so happy to have you. The two of you collaborated to write this book, Just Work how to root out bias, prejudice, and bullying, and to build a kick-ass culture of inclusivity. Trier, let me go to you. How did this collaboration come to be? 
So can we just first talk about that's not the actual original title of the book, right? <laughs> yes, and I actually hate it, okay? So the original <laughs> title of the book was Just Work, Get Shit Done, Fast and Fair. But did you know that Amazon will not let you promote books with the word shit in it? I did Although not. you can with ass. So for those of you who are ever going to write a book in the future, that's something that you should know. <laughs> I'm going to write. Um, and that's a note people, I'm writing down. And then people were leaving these like mean comments. Like, I thought this was a book about productivity. It's a book about bias. And it's not, you know, so we were like, okay, like Kim was like, we need to change the title of the book because Kim wrote the book. Uh, but I really loved the original title. But that's just another little fun fact about it is that this is the improved um, Amazon approval to promote the book uh, title of the book. But how did we come to partner? So Kim wrote this amazing book, Just Work, original title, Get Shit Done Fast and Fair. Um, and it is about workplace injustice. It is about bias, prejudice, and bullying. And how do we uproot that and prevent those things from occurring within the workplace? And she was looking, she was going to you know, start another company alongside of the book like she did with Radical Candor. She was looking for a co-founder CEO. So we were introduced and I was like, Kim, I don't have time to start a company. I was a chief people officer at this rocket company in the middle of COVID. 80% of my employees had to touch the rock to do their work. I've got a COVID outbreak in Alaska. Like, it was a lot, right? And I was like, Kim, I'll read the book and give you some feedback. I was like, but I, I'm not going to be able to start a company. Aaron, I read the book and I was like, Kim, organizations and leaders needed this yesterday. Like, what can we do to get this framework in as many organizations and to as many people as possible? Why? I have been a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner for over 15 years. But if anyone asks, Erin, I'm 25. Um, yes. And yes. yes, thank you. That was my and next question. The thing, is, covered it. <laughs> the thing is, is that we do a lot of talking in this space of the problems. People can talk about the problems in lots of different ways. But we're in this really unique moment because of what happened with the social unrest um, following the murder of George Floyd in 2020, where people actually want to do better but they don't know what to do. And so we need to give people practical and tactical tools and frameworks that they can, regardless of your level, regardless of if you're a leader, you manage people or industry, that you can put these things into practice in your workplace and disrupt bias, prevent prejudice from occurring, and provide consequences to bullies so that we don't have them in the workplace either because they're a distraction. And that is how uh, Kim and I came to partner to do this because she wrote this incredible book. And my background in diversity, equity, and inclusion and being a people HR leader of like, how do you actually introduce this and scale this within organizations so that we can do better? Trier, honestly, when I read your bio, I was floored. I mean, you have had the most impressive career. The world needs the work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful this collaboration happened. I'm so grateful. You and me both. <laughs> so happy. So happy. Well, okay, so Kim, radical candor is a term that we use so much now. Like it's a it's a buzzword. It's not, I don't even want to call it a buzzword. It's just a common term. You, have you read the book Radical Candor? Oh, yes. Right? So especially in the corporate world, which is where the improved audience lives, breathes. So let me ask you this question. Why was writing this book, Just Work, so important post-Radical Candor? You know, if you write a book about feedback, you're going to get a lot of it. And indeed, I did. And shortly after Radical Candor came out, 
I was at a tech company in San Francisco giving a radical candor talk. And the CEO of that company had been a colleague of mine for the better part of a decade, a person who I respect and like enormously, and one of too few black women CEOs in tech. And after I gave the radical candor talk, she pulled me aside and she said, Kim, I'm excited to roll out radical candor. I think it's going to help me build the kind of culture I want. But I got to tell you, it's much harder for me to roll it out than it is for you, to put it into practice than it is for you. And then she went on to explain to me that as soon as she would offer anyone, even the most compassionate criticism, that she would get slimed with the angry black woman stereotype. And I knew this was true. And as soon as she said it to me, I had three, four revelations really at the same time. The first was that I had not been the kind of colleague that I imagined myself to be, that I want to be, that I aspire to be. I had failed to notice the extent to which she had had to show up unfailingly pleasant and cheerful at every single meeting we had ever been in together. And believe me, in that period of time, she had what to be ticked off about at work, just like we all do, but she wasn't allowed to show it. And I had failed to stand up to that injustice. The second thing that I realized was that I had been sort of in denial about the kinds of things that had happened to me as a white woman in the workplace. I never wanted to think of myself as, as a victim because our society has such a weird attitude towards, towards victims. But in fact, you know, all kinds of stuff had happened to me that I had sort of pretended hadn't happened. So that was the second thing. Now, the third thing, even less than wanting to think of myself as a victim, that I want to think of myself as a perpetrator. And yet I had been guilty of, of bias, prejudice, and bullying too often in my career. And, and I, I had also been sort of in denial about the kinds of things I had done as, as a white woman in the workplace, uh, the, the mistakes that I had made. And the fourth thing I realized was that as a leader, I had failed to create the kind of environments in which bias, prejudice, and bullying wouldn't get in the way of a team's ability to just work. This is one of the things that was so puzzling to me about the feedback that we got about the book. How could you say it's not about productivity? You cannot be productive in a, in a, in an environment that is characterized by bias, prejudice, or bullying. Very true. Facts. Facts. Hashtag facts. Okay. This is so good. And I'm, Again, I know that our audience is just listening, nodding. I'm listening and nodding. This book needed to come into existence. And I want to start off with the very beginning of the book. Kim, you talk about your experience in Russia in the 1990s. And, you know, it might be a bit difficult for readers to read. And I know as an author that this was most, this was most likely the point, right? To get everybody comfortable with the uncomfortable, which is a term that we in the world of improv use all the time. Let's get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Let's create this safe space. So Trier, for our audience today, what are some ways leaders can encourage everyone on their team to get comfortable discussing bias, prejudice, and bullying? And with that, I know in the book, there's simple definitions of all of these terms. So could you, what are, why is that so important? And can you define those for us? Well, that is the key thing, right, Erin, is that we need shared norms and shared vocabulary. So the shared vocabulary that we use is how we define the root causes of workplace injustice is bias, prejudice, bullying. Simple definitions, bias is not meaning it. Prejudice is meaning it. 
And bullying is just being mean. Like, how easy is that, right? Okay. So in this framework, now you can name it. And what's so interesting, Aaron, is that we've we've gone into all these organizations and we've done these keynotes and we've introduced this framework. And then afterwards, people are like, oh, I never thought that that was prejudice or I never thought that I was being bullying because you didn't know how to name it. Mm. And once you name it, you can solve for it. But if you can't, then you're just kind of in this state of like, it doesn't feel good, but I don't really know what it is. Erin, if you would have asked me before I was introduced to this framework and before I had Kim's book, Trier, have you ever been bullied in your career? I mean, Erin, you read my background. Like, you spent a little time with me. Are you kidding? Have I, I ever did. been bullied? I like, I can imagine. you come for me. You come for me. I'm gonna come for you, right? Like, of course I haven't been bullied in my career. And then Kim tells me, Bullying is just being mean. And when you read it and she tells these really great stories because Kim believes in the power of, of storytelling, right? You're like, wow, I really have been bullied. But you know what, Aaron? I never stood up for myself. I never reacted. I never responded because I didn't identify or name it in that way. So what leaders need to do is that when we can have shared language, and then the next thing in the framework is then what do you do when you find yourself in these situations? The shared norms of how we respond it's amazing what can what can happen when you arm your people and your teams with those two very simple tools that each, like all that comes from the framework. The framework is so, it really is so simple. And also just saying this, it just, you know, you're bringing up stories in my own mind of my own work. And I'm going to tell you, there was an, an incident years ago before Improve It where I was bullied and I called the person a bully and she has young children. And she was so taken aback. And then she got to the root of why she was doing it. And it, and she said, I'm just doing this because. And I said, interesting, because she was bullying. I'll just tell you, she was bullying me about some of the clothes that I wore to work. I'm oh a little gosh. extra, right? Like I have like, I'm on a fur vest right now, right? And so <laughs> I told her, I said, this is, I feel like you're bullet. You're a clothes bully. And she says, you know what? You're right. She's like, my clothes aren't fitting. And I absolutely have been taking that out on you in a different way. And I was like, wow, here we go. Thank you. And to have that simple definition of is just being mean, what bias, the simple definitions of bias and prejudice. This is what, as you were talking about the social unrest, this is what companies and, and the great resignation, this is what people are looking for as those simple definitions in a place where those things are spoken about and they feel like an easy topic to discuss versus this like, <gasps> I don't want to talk about that at work. Right. And, and, you, know, and you know what's so great about your example, Erin, is that like, so we talk about statements. So we talk about when you're faced in a situation with bias, you can use an I statement. An I statement invites yes. someone in to let them know how you're feeling, right? Prejudice, you use an it statement. An it statement focuses on the prejudice. But bullying, we advise to say, hey, that's where you use a you statement. And so in that example of bullying, you know, another way you could have said is like, hey, what's going on with you? What's going on with you that you would feel necessary to say that to me that doesn't feel good? Like that's bullying. And then, yeah. And her response was, you know what? This is actually what's going on. Because oftentimes it's just some that question or just putting it back on them to make them reflect on themselves, right? Like you can't talk to me like that. Or what's going on with you? So using those statements, very, very simple. And I'm not going to lie, even though this framework is really about the workplace, I have used some of this in my personal relationship. <laughs> I w- literally, it just bleeds into it, right? It's so easy. I mean, and you actually yeah. just took a question right off, right out of my mouth because that was my next question for you was how do you define those statements? And I love that. And it's so interesting to think about 
when we think, and Kim, I want to ask you this, when those things are taking place, right? When people are being biased, prejudiced, and bullied, or, and they've, like you said, Kim, you've done it. We've all had these yeah. things happen to us, right? Like we've all been biased. We've all been prejudiced. And we've all, at some point in our lives, we've all, we are human, right? We've all done things that make people not feel great, right? So why yes. are, you talk about upstanders and bystanders, right? But I want to talk about the people who remain silent in the face of bias, prejudice, and bullying. What are what are some of the common reasons why people remain silent when these things happen? I think a, a big part of the reason is you, you don't know what to say. You haven't taken a yeah. good improv class, right? That's it. And, right. <laughs> So, so also, I think in the, in the, in the face of, of bullying, very often people will, will say, Oh, you know, that's just so and so. That's just so and so. They're not really so bad. But, but what, the other day I tweeted, good people do bad things all the time. And if they really are good people, they want to know about those good things that they do. And so let's like, let's just eliminate the phrase, Oh, he's a good guy or she's a good, you know, she's a good person. And, 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 and say to ourselves, if they're such a good person, they would want to know so that they can address this stuff. Uh, so let's think also about what to say when you don't know what to say and, and offer some, you know, let's double click on, the, on that language that, that Trier just suggested, because, I think another part of the problem is that you're not sure often whether it's bias, prejudice, or bullying, or you're a little bit, you're not sure how to respond. You confuse the responses. So for example, my daughter was getting bullied. This is a, a personal life, not a workplace example. She was in third grade. She was getting bullied on the, on the playground. And I suggested to her, as adults often do in these situations, to use an I statement. I was confused. And I said, tell this kid, I feel sad when you blah, blah, blah. And she banged her fist on the table. And she said, mom, they are trying to make me feel sad. Why would I tell them they succeeded? I thought, you know, that is a really good point. And so you want to make sure that you you pay attention to your gut. What, what do you think this is? And then you respond. Now, you may be wrong. Maybe it's not bullying. But that's okay. You've given this person some feedback that it sure feels like bullying. Maybe it wasn't bias. And what, one of the reasons why I often don't respond, whether I'm the upstander or the person who's harmed, is I'm not sure. For, so one of the examples I give in the book is I was giving a talk, a radical candor talk at a tech conference, which in which I was like, there were a hundred people and three women, one of very few women. <laughs> And I was about to get on stage. I was about to go on stage. And this man comes running up to me. And he's like, where, where is there a safety pin? I've popped the button off my shirt. You know, this is my problem to solve. And I knew that he was doing it because he was confusing me for a staffer, even though the staffers were all wearing bright yellow T-shirts and perhaps 30 years younger than I am. But anyway, all he could see was his need and my gender. And so I, but I assumed that he didn't mean it. And so I could have said, I'm not staffing the people in the yellow t-shirts could help you. But I didn't say that in part, and this is not a good excuse. I'm just sort of explaining what ha I think, because stuff happens like this to a lot of us. It would have been better if I had said that. I didn't say that in part because I was, I was concerned, like, what if he actually 
is prejudice. What if I say I'm not a staffer and he says, oh, you're the radical candor lady. You're, I don't believe in all that soft feminine, you know, leadership BS. And unlikely that would happen, but it has happened to me more than once before, right? So, so that could have had, it could have been prejudice, not just bi- unconscious bias, but a very conscious prejudice. Or maybe, maybe he could have bullied me next and said, Oh, don't get your panties in a wad. Well, again, unlikely, but you know, raise of hand, women on, on the, <laughs> has that happened to you? Yes, it's happened more than once. And so I'm, I'm much more angry when it's prejudice or bullying. And I didn't want to go on the stage roiling mad. And as the person harmed, I think I had a, a right to choose my response. But as a leader in that situation, I actually had an obligation to say something. Because if I don't say something, then this guy's going to go and give all the people who are staffing the conference a poor performance rating. You know, so, so, so I think we, it's useful to be aware of what our role is and, and what our obligation to respond is. That is a fantastic example. Very proud of you. That's, you know, you... No, don't be proud of me. I didn't say anything. I did the wrong thing. (laughs) But no, I'm proud of you for processing it now because you're processing how it went down. And I think at the same time... So let me ask you this. Did you go... When you went on stage though, were you you still upset? How how were you on stage once you got on stage? No, no, I didn't. Part of my coping mechanism... and, And by the way, if you're the person harmed, you have a right to employ this coping mechanism. Part of my coping mechanism was just to pretend it hadn't happened and to ignore the whole thing. So it didn't rattle me. But in in retrospect, I was hardly walking the radical candor talk by not saying anything, was I? And so later, I felt bad about it. And I think this is one of those things that's worth thinking about. Over time, if you get in the habit, if you default to silence, as I too often did in my career, then you lose a sense of agency. And and that is actually very destructive. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you too, after, you know, reading your book, reading your books, but after the Radical Candor talk and after you and I had our last talk, there will be some moments where literally I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, Radical Candor, go. And I'll just force myself (laughs) to say something when typically my, I am a silent, that is my go-to, anti-confrontational, you know, ruinous sympathy, all those things. But I appreciate this answer. And I want to go to Trier because I want to think about what Kim said, but also kind of think about it in terms of incidents of people standing up to bias and prejudice and bullying. And this came up in the book. They're rare. So so why do you think incidents of people standing up to bias, prejudice, and bullying are rare or are so rare? Yeah. We call them upstanders and we need yeah. more upstanders. We need more people that are just bystanders, you know, intervening and moving into action. Um, wh- look, I don't know, because I'm not that person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I don't, I think that because as a Black woman, Erin, I have been the person harmed so frequently yeah. that now at this point in my career, sometimes I don't necessarily call it out, not because I'm afraid to, but I don't even notice it anymore, unfortunately. Like it is just, I'm just so accustomed to the bias and sometimes the prejudice. However, I'm very conscious of it for other people. 
And I get very protective of anyone if I know that harm is being caused. And I think a lot of times, like we forget that inclusion has to be inclusive. And too often we have these conversations and it's man, woman, black, white, you know, there's, there's so, we have so many different identities and intersections. And as long as there's a majority, there's always going to be a minority. And it's hard to be when you're on that side and it doesn't always feel good. Um, But we do need more bystanders. I mean, we do need more upstanders, bystanders that intervene. And maybe it's because they don't know what to do. Maybe they don't know what to say. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe there's a power dynamic in play. But the thing is, is that more harm is done by staying silent because there is complacency in your silence, right? And we cannot be complicit. We cannot be complacent. And we have to intervene. And it, and we need more folks that are, you know, it's one thing for, you know, Kim tells a story where she, you know, um, she, they were giving a, they were giving a presentation uh, to a couple hundred folks and it was her and a team of four other people. And the, the person introduced them, introduced all the men. And then for her, took her hand and like kissed it, kind of licked it, right? I'm not doing this story justice. Kim tells this like <laughs> awesome story. But the point is, is that in front of 500 people, this man like basically licked Kim's hand and no one said anything. <laughs> back that to bodily fluids. Yes. Back right. To bodily fluids. Yes. Bodily fluids. So, back to that. And so I remember when Kim had shared the story with me and I was thinking how many times something had happened where I knew it it wasn't right and I might have said something, but the burden is, was on me because I'm the person harmed that like, oh, yeah, she's going to say something. But it also says a lot to that person who's being harmed that if no one else says anything, now it's kind of like you're being gaslit, right? Are you gaslighting me? Like no one else thought that was weird. No one's going to say anything. And so it shouldn't always be on that person. Now, I will tell you, one of the greatest things about you know, working with Kim is before I even get it out of my mouth to say something, Aaron, typically on a podcast, Kim is going to jump in and be an upstander. Like Kim is a constant upstander 100% of the time, right? Like people will throw out a question. Well, a question. Okay, well, so a podcast, this podcaster threw out a question once. It was like, well, Trier, like as a black person, what do you think about this? And Kim was like, what are you talking about? Asking Trier as a black person. Us as white people need to be having this conversation. You need to be asking me this conversation, right? So it's just like, we need more upstanders. Like stand up and say something. And it may be uncomfortable. Lean into the discomfort. It's not going to hurt you. Um, and when people say it's hard, it's that much harder being that person who's causing, who's who's being harmed. And it is that much harder for the person who's from the underrepresented group that deals with this constantly every day. So do your part. Do your part. Upstanders want it. Upstanders want it. That's I right. love that. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that too. And I, this book, I mean, I literally feel like I, again, I want a three hour podcast. We're not going to keep it there, but I have, I have some, some questions I want to get to because this is so interesting. There were several suggestions, um, especially chapter five, okay, which I loved. Kim, you offer several suggestions that people could use to interrupt bias on their teams. And as you know, there's a ton of leaders listening to this show, emerging leaders, people who want to do well and show up for their teams in the best way. So could you give the Improved audience some suggestions they could use to interrupt bias? On their team. Absolutely. I think that one of the most important things actually that leaders can do is to create a culture 
where this is not just accepted, but expected and demanded, where, where you don't get to the end of a meeting and no bias has been interrupted. In fact, we're going to do this on this podcast. Before we're done, you're going to point out something I've, one of you will point out something that I've said or done that's biased. So there's sort of three parts to bias disruptors. And remember, bias is a pattern. And we as human beings are pattern makers. But that doesn't mean we are the helpless victims of our patterns. We can change the patterns when the patterns become destructive. In fact, we must change the patterns when the patterns become destructive. So here's what you can do as a leader to, to make this accepted. Or you can do it bottoms up. doesn't have to be top down. Sit down with your team and... Figure out what are the words or phrase, what's the word or phrase that you all want to use to disrupt bias in the moment. So Trier suggested, and I love it, a purple flag. And, and I have this purple flag here in honor of Trier's suggestion. And a pur- purple, fl- it's a friendly purple flag. It's not a red flag. It's not a yellow flag. And whenever one of us says or does something biased, sometimes we wave it on ourselves ourselves. Sometimes we wave it on each other. Other teams we've worked with have said, yo, another team throws up a peace sign. So when someone says peace, they they know that their bias has been pointed out to them. And other teams have said, I don't think you meant that the way it sounded. Other teams say bias alert. The words matter, but I don't want to give a script because the best words are the words that your team will actually use. So that's Point number one. Point number two is you need to work with the people whose biases are being interrupted to know how to respond in the moment. Because I don't know about you all, but I feel deeply ashamed when when I when I my biases are pointed out to me, and I usually do not respond at my best when I'm feeling deeply ashamed. I usually respond poorly, and so it's useful to have kind of an expected not exactly script, but set of things to fall back on. So sometimes I know what I've done wrong. And then it's my job to say, thanks for pointing it out. I'm working on that. Tell me if I do it again. And But other times, I don't know what I've done wrong. And now I'm doubly ashamed. I'm ashamed because I've harmed someone and I'm ashamed because I'm ignorant. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. And in that case, I say something along the lines of, Thank you for pointing it out. I'm not quite sure what I did. Can you tell me after the meeting? And so that is a way to just make sure that you're teaching everybody that we all have these moments and that we're helping one another. We're pointing them out in the spirit of helping one another improve. You can't do right if you don't know what you're doing wrong. So that's it's a gift that we're giving each other. So that's second thing. And then the third thing is just a shared commitment. We're going to point it out in every meeting because something biased gets said or done in every meeting, every day, at every company, everywhere. Uh, and it does, again, it doesn't mean that it's inevitable. It just means we've got we've got what to learn. That's it. And when you know better, you do better. And if you don't do better, do, figure it out. Way. Figure it out. Yeah. And I love, wait, uh, Trier, there's a quote that I loved. Let me find this in your bio. Good enough isn't. Good enough isn't. That is my, that's our family model. My grandfather, um, he had a sign over the bar. Good enough isn't. And that's just where our family's work ethic comes from. And it's hard. Like, can you, like, do you know how many times people are just like, ah, it's good enough. Oh, I cringe, Aaron. I cringe. It's I so painful you. when people say that. You know, I, as a recovering perfectionist, 
Uh, oh, you're I recovering. Turned, Good for I'm recovering. you. I'm recovering. I'm now a failfluencer. That's what I am. Uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I understand that. And, but that I, you know, it was impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, there are, there are things that, um, I, I always have like a very, we're going down a different path, but I'm just, I was just, I was loving this quote and I wanted to know where that came from. So I, I'm glad that we cleared that up. And I also know like for both of you, the work that you're doing is just as you were talking, Kim, I'm sitting here nodding my head thinking, yes, like I've experienced that shame. I've experienced feeling that ignorance. I've experienced all of the things that every single human being feels, but you're actually putting into tangible, actionable steps that people can follow. So I love this purple flag. I love the piece. I'm loving that each company has their own thing that speaks to them, but it actually helps point it out. And I, I've been listening, Kim. I haven't had a purple flag moment yet. So it could happen. I don't know. I'll tell you, here's true confession. So I worked with Breeze Harper, who's a, a critical race strategist, to make sure that I was not using language that I in, in ways I hadn't intended in the book. And she pointed out to me, a couple of things happened. First of all, she pointed out to me eight words I tend to use that needed some further examination. And my initial response was defensive. I was like, oh my God, there's no safe word in the English language. I mean, I hate to confess that, but it was my initial. And, and then I caught myself uh, and, and I said, okay, that's eight words. There's 200,000 words. That's where like quantifying your bias can be helpful to put things into perspective. And then I thought about, and I realized she was exactly right about each of those words. And one of the words was see. I tend to use sloppy sight metaphors. I see. Uh, when I'm, what I mean is I notice or I understand. And that is, that is problematic because it sort of implies that, that people who are blind don't see, don't understand, don't notice. And of course they do notice and they do understand very often more clearly than, than, than those of us, uh, with, with vision. And so I, I thought I had cleared that up because A, because I understood and B, because another one of the editors who was working on, on the book is blind and I care deeply about him and didn't want to use harmful language. And, Bef right before I sent the book into my editor, I did a search on the word C. And I had used sloppy sight metaphors 99 times in a 350-page book. So it this takes a lot of, we have to be persistent with ourselves and with each other. Uh, polite, but persistent. That is, I I totally appreciate that. And I appreciate you sharing that because... I think a lot of people listening can relate. I had a guest on the show who was blind and I said something about C and I wanted to kick myself and it just, you know, and it's one of those things where you're talking and you really need to think about these eight words. And I'd be curious what the other eight words are, but I, I, I don't have time for the eight words right now because I have a very important question for you. But Kim, I'm very curious on these other eight words. All right, Trier, I can tell from her eyes that she has something important to say. What, Trier? Say it. Okay, so, Aaron, have you had a chance to see our, our um, see, I just, okay, purple flag. Have you had a chance to, to watch our TED Talk? No, I have not. Or hear our TED Talk. So we have a TED Talk. It just had a million views. It's great. Okay. However, the biggest, the biggest criticism that we've got on that TED Talk is we use an example of like blind spot. 
as like a purple flag in there. And people are going, we're going crazy in the comments on like YouTube or something. And they were like, I just can't say anything now. Now I can't say blind spot, like all these other words. Aaron, do you know how many words there are in the English language? Right. And it's just like, well, Kim told us. Yeah. Right. So, so like to me, and I've had this conversation with other folks, like there's a CEO that, you know, I was coaching with one of our clients and he gave someone on his team feedback of doing a project. He was like, Hey, you did awesome on that. You absolutely killed it. And the guy took him aside afterwards and said, Hey, my family comes from a part of the world where there's a genocide going on right now. I don't really want to kill anything. I'd appreciate it if you could just like, I don't find that as a compliment. The CEO got mad and he was like, I just can't say anything. All I want to do is give him a compliment because he did so great. And I said, if he's doing so great and he told you there's one word that he would just prefer for you not to say and telling him that he does a good job. If I were you, I would just find another word so he can just keep doing his job. (laughs) Because every time you say that, you are now introducing this burden where he has to focus on that, right? And so when people want to push back on these words, again, we all have our little things. And ultimately, we want to be in the workplace where we can do our best work. And if you just changing your language for one word and replacing it with something else is going to make it easier for that person to do their work, do their best work and show up as who they are in a more comfortable and inclusive place, is it really that hard? Yeah, just change the word. Change. The, I love that, Trier. It's something so small. Change the word. I love this so much because there's so many correlations. Kim, tri- wait, Trier, I've never asked you this. Have you ever done improv before? You know, I've only done the whole like whoosh, okay. whoosh thing. Do you know what I'm okay. talking about? Yeah, the, the, the game whoosh. whoosh. Yes, yes. Or z- are you talking about zip, zip, zip? Oh, zip, zip. That, is that what it is too? Whoosh, zip. Yeah, but that thing. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. It is, let me tell you why I love it as an art form. Because it makes people feel what we're trying to accomplish here. It makes people feel heard because a good improv scene allows people to have to listen and react to the last thing that is said. It makes people empathize with others because as you're creating these scenes, you're having to really lean into the person on the other side of that scene and hear what they're saying so that empathy is involved. And when we're talking about these word choices at work, I mean, talking about things like see or blind spot or kill or pronouns, right? These things make the other person on the receiving end feel important. And that's all that matters is when people show up, they feel like they have this place of belonging. If we can just do that, if every if people can read this book and take an improv class, uh, the world would <laughs> and be hire us to come roll out all our good ideas at your company. Then the world would be a better place, better place. And I I, I love what you've brought up because it really puts it into context. You give tangible tools. You know, what I do is very experiential. What you're doing is also experiential. You're giving tangible things for people to see and feel and do. And it just matters so much. So I'm so grateful for you to collaborating and putting this out into the world. I think the world needs to hear this message. And I want to ask you both this question. So I'll start with you, Trier. We say it and prove it. Your it is whatever you feel like you were put here to do, right? So when we say improve it, it's a pun on words because it could you can leave or take the E, right? <laughs> can you see the sign down? <laughs> um, so, but your it is the thing that you're, you are put here to do. So what would you say your it is? My it is to help leaders and organizations take better care of their people. 
You take care of your people, your people take care of the mission. That's it. Oh, that's it. Pun intended. (laughs) That's it. All right, Kim, what is your it? My it is to help people love their work and love each other. I love that. I love that. I'm so grateful that you both came on this show. And I want you to tell the Improve It fam where they could find you if they want to learn more, how they can hire you. Tell them all the things. Either of you tell us. Well, you can get the book on Amazon, anywhere where you go and get your books. Also, your local bookstores. Let's support our local bookstores. Just Work. Uh, and then we our website, justworktogether.com. And you can find more information on, you know, how we partner and collaborate with organizations, some of our current and previous clients. Um, you know, we'd love to come in and talk to your organization, do a keynote, uh, half-day workshop, anything, or engage with leaders. We work a lot with executive teams and one-on-one with leaders as well. Uh, but think it's really critical to, you know, again, having that shared vocabulary and shared norms on how to identify workplace injustice and how to move past it. And a lot of amazing things can happen within your culture and your workplace for your people. Again, take care of your people and your people will take care of the mission. And if you want constant daily reminders, you can follow us at Just Work Book or you can follow me at Kimball Scott. I will offer reminders about Just Work and a whole host of other random things. Yeah, Kim (laughs) tweets. Kim's really big on social media. I do not. I don't like the trolls and the haters. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really a social media person. They are there. Well, we're going to link all this in the show notes. And I just want to tell both of you, first and foremost, you are two kick-ass women who are making kick-ass cultures of inclusivity, one organization, one book at a time. And everyone listening to the show, get your copy of Just Work. Thank you so much for being on the Improve It podcast, ladies. It's been a pleasure. Kim again, Trier, so nice to meet you. Erin, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. We are going to do some improv and improve it. Yes. There's the sound bite I was looking for. Thank you. Okay. Improve it, fam. I am just blown away. I have a fan on me. I am blown away. This episode is so special. We talk about some of the most important things facing us as leaders in today's workforce. And not only did we talk about them, but Kim and Trier both gave us super tangible things that we can take away from today's show that we can put into motion today. So I want to go back to the suggestions Kim gave us on interrupting bias on your team. So freaking cool. Whenever you hear bias, on your team. And of course, we have to create an environment where people feel safe to talk about these things. If you hear some type of bias, Kim uses the purple flag. Trier told me she uses a purple post-it. Take whatever symbol makes sense for you and your team and hold it up. So if somebody said, you guys, instead of you all, which being from the South now, I'm y'all is inclusive. All right. So Thinking of biases that come up on the regular and actually calling attention to them is going to help us, what we said in the show, do better. Good enough is it, as Trier's family says, right? So I want you to think of a symbol. They mentioned uh, the purple flags, the peace signs, 
those things are easily available to us, right? Maybe it's a pen because everybody has a pen at their desk while you're on Zoom. If you hold up a pen, you've said something biased. I want you to think of a symbol that you can put into motion for your team to make sure that we are getting rid of and interrupting this bias. So it's actually interrupting that helps us to do better, which helps us to get rid of this bias. Think of the thing that you're going to put in motion for yourself, for your team. I want you to write it down after today's show, and then I want you to talk to your team about it. That is your tangible next step from today's show. Find your item that is going to help you interrupt bias on your team. Explain how to do this with your team. So anytime we hear something that is biased on Zoom or in person, we're going to do a peace sign or we're going to hold up this purple post-it note, or whatever it may be. And really think about how that conversation starts with your team, but put it into motion. And I want you to track this. I want you to see how this helps interrupt that bias and what it looks like for your team moving forward. Maybe you try this for a week and you set the example with your team. Hey, we're going to try this for one week, see how it feels. Because a week doesn't seem like that long, right? So you do it for a week and they're like, okay, we're going to keep going with this for a month. And by that time, it just becomes something so normal on your team that it just keeps going and going and going. This is something that a lot of people might have trepidation about because it is making them uncomfortable that they're biased. Remember that shame Kim talks about on the show? But it is so necessary and making everyone feel welcome and wanted. I know you can do this. I know you can do this. And that is really what this show, what Just Work the Book, Improv, all are all about, are making people feel included and seen and heard so that people can just work. Just work. I believe in you. I know you've got this. Keep failing. Keep improving. Because the world needs that special it that only you can bring. Thank you so much for today's conversation, for joining me here today. It was so important, so important to me. I learned so much. I'm walking away with so much. I know and hope that you are too. I'll see you here next time. Bye. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Improve It. I am so happy you are along for the ride. If you enjoyed this show, head on over to iTunes to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Now, if you're really feeling today's show and you've improved it even just a little bit, please take a screenshot and tag me at Keeping It Real Deal on Instagram and share it in your stories. I'll see you next week, but I I want to leave you with this thought. What did you improve today and how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I am rooting for you and the world needs that special it that only you can bring. See you next time. <laughs>